And our first day, the uh, one of the cadre or the instructors of the police academy say, okay, this is what we're doing up here. We're adopting this new training methodology. It's called CrossFit. Uh, get to know it. Of course, I poo-pooed it right away. Like, this is not what I do. I'm not interested in this. Like, I, I don't want to run. Weights. I don't want to just, yeah, I just want to lift. And, um, you know, I had to be up there for 18 weeks straight. And they basically said, you don't have a say in the matter. You're doing CrossFit. Okay, fine. If I'm going to be up there, like I said, when I get put in a situation or I get into something, I get obsessive. I decided that the police academy, if I was going to be there for 18 weeks, I was just going to destroy everything they threw at me the best way I could because it's just my personality. So uh, first day, they have us run two miles and it's kind of like a benchmark test to see kind of where you're at. I finished third, I think, out of like 50-something people, which I was happy with. I had a very, very, you know, not an extensive running background. But I ran so hard and tried so hard, I literally pissed myself at the finish line. I couldn't, my muscles had just gone to failure. I could not stop. Just pee was just leaking out down my leg. So that was like day one of going really, really hard in that style. So anyway, the next day, they had more of a classic CrossFit workout. It's called Fight Gone Bad. It's kind of an old-school OG workout. And uh, got a really bad score compared to what you would think a decent affiliate athlete would get these days puked my guts out and after that day i was like now i see what an intense training program can do for you hey everyone i'm palmer higgins and welcome to the big time small business podcast I interview owners, operators, and founders of the small businesses you see every day but don't hear enough about. We talk about the obstacles they have faced, the successes they have earned, and where their business is going to inspire and inform you in your own career. On this episode, I talk with Seth Page, co-founder of Misfit Athletics, a fitness company that does everything from operating CrossFit gyms to running an apparel brand to remote coaching for high-level CrossFit athletes and everything in between. Since starting their business from a garage gym almost 10 years ago, Misfit Athletics has grown to a tribe of 40,000 misfits who look to Seth and his team to help them get healthy, fit, and engage with a community of like-minded people. I talk with Seth about what has made Misfit Athletics so sought after by competitive athletes and fitness enthusiasts alike, how growth forced Seth to change how work gets done and decisions get made, and the similarities and differences of being a coach versus being a boss. All right, Seth Page, owner, founder of Misfit Athletics. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast, Big Time Small Business. Yeah, thanks, Palmer. Thanks for having me. Really excited for this conversation. Uh, but to start, uh, CrossFit, I think, is a, a loaded term. Those who are in it know it, don't need it to be said. Those who aren't basically associated with one word, cult. Yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to open it up and say, how do you define CrossFit? How do you define Misfit Athletics? Well, CrossFit itself... Um, it's very broad nowadays because there are something between 11,000 and 13,000 affiliates worldwide, right? And they are very libertarian in their stance, which means as long as you pass their um, short two-day certification or, or certificate process, and then you pay the money to affiliate and use the CrossFit brand, you can then take CrossFit in any direction you want. So the methodology is there for you to learn. Uh, they have a ton of media. That's one thing they do a great job of is media compared to any other fitness company in the world. They just crush it. Um, so you learn kind of from watching and you grow your business based on well, I won't say I did this, but others nowadays that are opening gyms because there's over, you know, almost two decades worth of information kind of grow their businesses off what they see and believe that they're supposed to be doing based on what CrossFit posts. Um, so to, to answer the question, like, what is it? It's whatever the affiliate owner of the day wants it to be. As long as you pay your fees to yeah. CrossFit HQ. What is it to me? It's a chance to, um, teach some people how to move really, really well, uh, move their own bodies well, and then teach them how to move objects really, really well, and then get them conditioned and stronger and try to improve their quality of life while um, trying to have some semblance of a community aspect that goes with it. So like the work we have people put in is not easy. It's it should be difficult for everybody, whether you're uh, you know a soccer mom, grandfather, or you know fresh out of college athlete. Like we're gonna find a way to challenge you specifically, and we want you to kind of tap into your potential. But we don't want you to do it alone. We want you to do it with a bunch of other people who are willing to suffer and do the same sort of things an hour, ninety minutes a day, whatever your you know level of dedication is. Um, 
you know, bring out the best in yourself. So that's what it is to me. And that's what we try to do within our gyms and, and with the people we work with abroad. So sure. We're, we're going to get into that because there's a lot of different sub businesses underneath the misfit, yeah. misfit athletics umbrella. Sure. Are. Uh, but first you have a great story about how you got into CrossFit. I don't think it's necessarily unique to CrossFit because as you said, they're great at marketing and they highlight yeah. a lot of stories and you guys have been in it for so long that almost every OG CrossFitter, I don't put you in that category, has a kind of story like yours, but it's still unique. So could you give us a little bit of background on how you got into CrossFit? Yeah, um, I'll try to sum this up best I can. Uh, <laughs> so when I was probably like 19, year out of high school, I one day just kind of had that look in the mirror like, okay, I'm just not in shape. I don't feel that great. And so I went uh, to one of my... Uh, co-founders and co-owners who's their, our media guy for Miss Athletics, Ted. I said, Hey man, you want to get a gym membership with me somewhere? Like we're, you know, we're both really out of shape. Like we're pretty young to be feeling this way. Yeah, absolutely. So he has a football background. So he knew the basic, you know, squatting, benching, bicep day, you know, stuff like that. So we, we got to plan. Tries. Yeah. Buys and tries. A lot of that. <laughs> we got to plan a fitness membership, spent like two, two and a half hours a night. We got really hooked on just going in there and just lifting weights. I mean, I wouldn't say we got into the best shape of our lives, but I'd say, we were heading in the right direction and we actually liked working out. We liked sort of the feeling you got when you were done, that hormone dump you get after a lot of hard work. Like it makes you feel really good. Um, so we got into that and I, you know, wanted to learn more. When I get into something, I get kind of obsessive about that topic for even a, sometimes it's a short amount of time. Sometimes it turns into a 15 year process like we're <laughs> at now. Um, and so I decided, like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to community college for random classes. And I said, wow, maybe I'll like learn how to do this for real and be a trainer. It seems fun. I like to spend all day in the gym anyway. So I went and did this uh, certification through a company called NASA, National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, you could do it at home. You read a couple textbooks. You, you go to a proctor, take an online or a uh, in-person test. They send you a piece of paper. Boom, you're a personal trainer. That's how easy it is. So I didn't have any college in that. I did take some real basic like nutrition and like anatomy, like classes that are just extracurricular sort of things at community college, but nothing, no exercise science background, nothing like that. Um, but I... Uh, at the time had an opportunity to work at a planet fitness. And, uh, through that same time when I was in college, I was taking criminal justice classes and simultaneously got an offer to be a police officer. So I took the police officer job with the benefits and the salary and all that, and kind of put personal training on the back burner. And within like six weeks, I think I was sent up to the police Academy and our first day, the, uh, one of the cadre or the instructors of the police Academy say, okay, this is what we're doing up here. We're adopting this new training methodology. It's called CrossFit. Uh, get to know it. Of course, I poo-pooed it right away. Like, this is not what I do. I'm not interested in this. Like, I, I don't want to run. Weights. I don't want to just, yeah, I just want to lift. And, um, you know, I had to be up there for 18 weeks straight. And they basically said, you don't have a say in the matter. You're doing CrossFit. Okay, fine. If I'm going to be up there, like I said, when I get put in a situation or I get into something, I get obsessive. I decided that the police academy, if I was going to be there for 18 weeks, I was just going to destroy everything they threw at me the best way I could because it's just my personality. So uh, first day, they have us run two miles and it's kind of like a benchmark test to see kind of where you're at. Did that in high school for soccer. Oh, yeah? Yep. Did yeah. not end well for me. No, I... I Finished third, I think, out of like 50-something people, which I was happy with. I had a very, very, you know, not an extensive running background. But I ran so hard and tried so hard, I literally pissed myself at the finish line. I couldn't, my muscles had just gone to failure. I could not stop. Just pee was just leaking out down my leg. So that was like day one of going really, really hard in that style. So anyway, the next day, they had more of a classic CrossFit workout. It's called Fight Gone Bad. It's kind of an old-school OG workout. That was and my first CrossFit workout. It was mine, too, apparently. And... uh got a really bad score compared to what you would think a decent affiliate athlete would get these days, puked my guts out. And after that day, I was like, now I see what an intense training program can do for you. Within 18 weeks, I was really into it. I was reading about it, watching videos about it. So when I left, I said, I'm not done now. Like now I'm just getting into it. I'm really into yeah. it. So I get one of my best friends, uh, Drew, who was home from college. I said, this is what I'm doing for working out. And I'm like, you should get into this, Ted. You can get into this too. And kind of me and Drew started working out regularly doing CrossFit workouts from the main site, CrossFit.com, which is kind of how everyone started mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, we got more and more friends into it. Drew's dad had an extra bay in his garage that was being not being used as storage. He told us we could clear it out. Uh, so Drew and I cleared it out, bought a, like a starter kit from Rogue Fitness, put a barbell in there, hung a pull-up bar, uh, invited some friends, 
and then it snowballed out of control. So that's my intro to it. Yeah, I mean, it really did snowball out of control. Everyone has a garage story, right? right. It's this guerrilla kind of marketing story of who knows what's going on, who knows what this thing is, but we're just following this programming on the main site and having a blast doing it. Everyone's puking their guts out yeah. and getting hooked. I mean, that's like the, the classic story. When I look back back on it, it's a little like cringeworthy, like how we would literally, you know, push ourselves to be like, oh, if you didn't puke, you didn't try, or if yeah. your hands aren't ripped apart, like it is a little cringeworthy being a fitness professional now and, and riding the decade long evolution. Like I was in the Academy in 2008, this is 2018. So I have 10 years of experience working with athletes of all kind. And it does bother me that that culture was actually like one of the cornerstones of it to start because that's not how you train people. But again, I may not have ever learned what intensity truly meant without going to those places at some point. So yep. there was a, there was a place for it, but that's not that those type of things are the reason that CrossFit kind of gets a bad name in the mainstream, um, you know, mainstream media, but that's just not what it should look like. It's not what it looks like at our gym. So I, I think what you just hit on is important because CrossFit has gone through this evolution over the years and has definitely evolved, become a little bit more about fitness and well-being and less about just spilling your guts on the floor and, yeah. and going to just complete failure. So I want to I want to sort of juxtapose the evolution of CrossFit with the evolution of Misfit Athletics because yeah. you, you hit a term on your head that you know, you're now a, a fitness professional. Yeah. And I'm assuming that means that when you first started, you did not consider yourself a fitness professional. No, even so, though I had that piece of paper like I, you know, was a trainer, it just it felt like a hobby for a lot of years. So where, when did that switch flip? When did it flip from it's a hobby, I'm figuring out to now I am a fitness professional with other fitness professionals and we have a formal, sophisticated business? Well, we before the, the formal, sophisticated business, which became a necessity because of how our growth and our brand, um, I just kind of had the passion to go after a certain niche that wasn't really being targeted at the time in CrossFit. And that's the competitive side of things. So working with the elite level athletes or the athletes that have the desire to take things to, um, just kind of obscene levels. And that was really appealing to both myself and business partner Drew. And so having athletes kind of, uh, in our early days come to us and say, Hey, will you work with us? And, you know, use us as an experiment and see how far you can take us, you know, from a, you know, coaching athlete relationship, like, like, where can you get me? How, you know, how competitive can I be as the sport of CrossFit's evolving? And we were both like, yeah, we're up for the task 100%. So we dove into that. And as we started to have success with athletes, like just breaking out left and right, I realized we were at the top of our field because it's, it's a niche still, it's a very specialized field. And we were, we're at the top of it. And, um, that is the moment that like, okay, we are professionals at this. People are seeking us out more, way more people are seeking us out than we have time to deal with or, you know, not that we don't want to work with them. It's just, we're maxed out. And so, um, you know, at that moment we realized we had to figure out a way to scale up and make things scalable in some sense. And so at that point we're like, okay, this is a business. Now we have jobs. We are coaching athletes at, you know, professional levels and we need to find a way to make this sustainable. So that's when we became professionals essentially. Right. Out of necessity. Yep. So so now we're hitting on uh the multiple different businesses under the Misfit Athletics banner. Right. So you have a gym in Portland, you yes. have another gym in Wyndham. Yes. You have a competitive coaching arm, which is predominantly re remote coaching and camps. Uh yeah, for the most part. Yeah. That's and then it. and then you have an apparel brand that sits sort of across doesn't sit legally across everything, but it sort of encompasses the the MF brand. Yeah, it makes it helps us make money to support what we're doing because I mean, who, we have a whole team, so who doesn't need to be paid to do this? And uh, it also, it helps, like you said, support the brand's advertising. When yeah. someone wears our stuff to competitions or around their gym, um, and it becomes, you know, everyday talk like misfit, misfit, misfit. That's when as a business and a brand, like we can be somewhat sustainable and we can actually grow. So, and the other thing, um, the Misfit Athletics, you hit on remote coaching and camps, even bigger than that. Now, I think probably our biggest source of income through Misfit specifically is our, um, subscription website. So getting the programming that we write and getting it, uh, somewhat tailored to people's needs, getting feedback on how to execute it properly, getting access to specialized Facebook groups, basically getting into the network of Misfit. So you, the program's free for anyone that wants to check it out on misfitathletics.com. But um, if you want anything above that, we got to get paid for it. Yep. So. 
So that is that's the platform business model, the network business model. Yeah, everyone loves it, uh, but it only works if you've created a brand that everyone wants to be in. Correct. So let's let's take it back to that point where you obviously struck a chord and you and you dove into this niche where you had you had the gym, and I want to talk about the box, but then you also started bringing on athletes who wanted your help in order to take their fitness to the next level to be competitive. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, first things first, the box, I think it's, it's evangelized in CrossFit media. It seems Mm -hmm. like it's a cool thing. Is it a good business to be in? It's a tough business to be in the it's, it's pretty hard, especially if you're in a, you know, a market where real estate's expensive. Um, you know, people are in the mindset that gym membership should be 20 bucks a month. Um, you know, you have all these things working against you in the traditional fitness model. Uh, and then you have a, a box that has to charge an, an athlete at minimum 150 a month. You got to find a way to stand out. And it's, it's not easy. It's not that lucrative unless you're one of the rare ones crushing it. People are finding that unless you really have your business like the business side of things, not the coaching side of things, the business side of things down pat, your marketing, your customer relations, all that stuff, your knowledge and and passion might not be enough. So it's a tough business. It strikes me that there are almost dis economies of scale with a, with the typical CrossFit gym, because there's a limit to how much a co- how many people can fit in your space and how many people a coach can realistically coach. There's a limit to how many people actually can go to the gym. Absolutely. So yeah. how, how does a gym dial it in and actually be successful? You, know, you don't see brands of CrossFit gyms. Everything's a right. onesie twosie. Uh, and I just don't see how you get good scale there. Well, it, I don't have, I don't even necessarily have the answer to that. I do know that CrossFit as a brand tries to cut down on that sort of thing happening. They don't want a kind of micro brand underneath their brand. So like they have certain rules like uh, one, you can only have one um, licensed gym under your name. So like I own the Portland gym technically by my signature being on that contract and Drew owns the Wyndham gym technically by his signature being on the contract. And so if either of us wanted to have another gym, need a new partner. have to have a partner. So we can't just keep opening them. That's one way to kind of grow your brand, but also not only in physical locations, but as like an online brand as well. That's something that we're really, I won't say scared of, but um, hesitant to jump into business with other people who may not represent our brand the exact way we expect it to be represented. And that can limit our growth because now we're not willing to take the chances that some others might be willing to take to kind of spread what they're doing. We're really possessive of what we do and what we've built. And so to let somebody... And let's say Texas, where it's our biggest market, probably. Mm-hmm. We're going to open a Misfit Gym, CrossFit West Texas, or whatever the heck they're going to name it. And it's going to be a Misfit Athletics Gym. Well, where's the quality control in that? I might know you as an athlete. I may have you, you know, you might be a friend of mine on a personal level, but as a business partner, I have no idea if you're executing the way that we want you to execute. And we're just not big enough manpower wise to send one of our guys down there for three months while it opens up and we figure it out. So those are the sort of things that we run into, like the issues of scaling up and being able to grow as a company within, you know, under CrossFit's rule in, mm-hmm. in the kind of domain that we're in. And do you, do you see that as a necessity in order to continue to enhance and build the brand awareness? Or do you feel like two gyms in Maine is an, and, and what you've done so far is enough for you to carry the brand via coaching via the internet, via programming, everything else you do? I don't think it's necessary. I think it would be helpful. I don't think, I think the online community is probably stronger than our local community, to be perfectly honest. It's just, there's so many people that get so attached, right? The sheer numbers, How many numbers and how many members in Portland? Oh, 90? uh, Yeah. 100? 90 to 100, yeah. Yeah. And probably similar in Wyndham. So between the two gyms, best case scenario, there's 200 people that commit themselves to it. We have like 40,000 or more registered users on our website. And so even though maybe a lot of them may be absent, the ones that are present are loud. And you hear them and you hear from them constantly. And um, 
yeah, they just, they buy all the gear you put out. They want to come to your camps. They want to meet you and take selfies with you at competitions. Like they, they're all in. But to your original question about growing and having more physical locations, I don't think we, I don't think we need that. And I do think the reason that we call people to us all the time is not only because, yeah, we're trying to grow the brand if that even does help, but we are actually so passionate about coaching people that we see things online. So we want people to execute the plans we put out to a T because like it's our, it's our brainchild. So when we see it, when we write it down, we expect people to move a certain way, proceed through a workout a certain way, act a certain way. And we don't see it. We're like, okay, we're not communicating it as effectively as we could online, even though we feel like we are come see me in person and like, let us coach you in person. We'll teach, we'll blow your mind in two days. Like, we, we did explain this in the YouTube video, but you were too busy using it for entertainment and not really absorbing it. So let us move you through like range of motion in person and we'll change the, like everything about your athletics. And so I think we actually want to do that. I don't know what it is about doing that, but I think you can make so much meaningful change in person as opposed to being online that it's nice to be able to get those people who really are hungry in person. Maybe. Sure. I think that's the way I think about it anyway. So this is something that so far everyone that I've had on the show has hit on. So I'm going to talk to you about it. And that's authenticity. Um, talk about what authentic, what, what's authentic to misfit and why that's so important to you. I've, I've kind of thought about this a lot and um, I keep coming back to the same sort of answer is, and it may be a selfish thing after all about why we are actually authentic. And I think I've come to the conclusion that I actually care or appreciate other people's success more than my own. So, but like backdoor wise, I'm getting success from other people being successful, but I'm not really, that's not the purpose. Like I get so much enjoyment, selfish pleasure out of an athlete I work with crushing a competition and like them watching them celebrate and them getting the glory. I don't think I've ever once wished that it was me that won the competition. I just don't have that sort of desire, even though I'm competitive. I think I'm satisfied and, and I, it is, it is a selfish like satisfaction I get, but by somebody else that I work with beating someone else or just having their own success. And that actually drives me. And I think that I, because I actually care about the success of others, for the most part, I think that makes me authentically who I am. And, and it actually should lend credibility to the work I do because if I just did, you know, real lazy shit work, but we pushed a ton of t-shirts and promoted a brand, no one would be winning anything, right? We would lose constantly and it wouldn't work. But I genuinely want the people I work with, the hungriest athletes that I meet and see to win. I, I want them to win. I don't want to win, but I want to be, I enjoy being a part of their victory and I don't want credit for it. I don't want them to even make a post about Instagram thanking me. I just want them to win. You want them to thank Misfit Athletics. I mean, I don't care, to be honest. I When people do like, a, don't hashtag do business? us, because, because I actually care about that, they do these things or don't some some are really bad about not ever posting about us or whatever even though we help them and I never harp on people about it would it be helpful for business yeah sure but there are enough people around who see what it is that we're doing for athletes that then come begging for our help the next year like I go to all the regionals I can Drew goes to all the regionals he can we usually split up because there's you know, seven of them or whatever in this country and there's a couple overseas we've been to a couple abroad but not often point being I work super close with any athlete who states that they have followed our program into like the first level competition that makes it to the second level where we travel and meet them. I'll help them out any way I can. I'm back behind the scenes with them doing whatever they ask for, like giving them advice, just motivating them, whatever it is that they want or need, I'm there. And other athletes are looking around like, I don't have a coach. No one's helping me. Like, why do you care so much? It's like, cause I want my guys to win. And they're like, well, I want to be one of your guys. So the next year we have guys, girls lining up to say, I want the same treatment that you got, that you gave them just because they dedicate themselves to you. You showed that you're dedicating yourself back. It's like, that's my job. That's what I do. And there's no other, you know, there's nothing else to do other than follow through with what your plan was. So, People see that. And when enough athletes start seeing that, enough high-level athletes start seeing that, they want to wear your shirt. They want to be a part of what you do. They want to represent. And that just 
is exponential growth. When you start sure. seeing purple on the competition floor, which is our signature color, you look in the stands, 10 times more purple in the stands. Like yep. it's just the way it works. But of course, you and Drew only split a certain number of ways. So yeah. you, we've talked about the scale of Misfit Athletics now. Two gyms, at best 200 members, 40,000 people that are subscribers to Misfit Athletics. How many, uh, how many coaches and how many athletes are you coaching? Um, so we probably have, I'm just throwing out kind of guesses, probably five or six other coaches other than myself and Drew. Um, some on a full-time, some on a part-time basis. People that we trust, like, because we could have more. So yep. we could have. We're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. That's so, where I'm going. Yep. Um, and what was the other part? How many athletes? Uh, so we were probably remote coach somewhere around 50 athletes. Some are actually paid clients and some are basically sponsored, I guess you would say. Um, and then again, like the just countless that subscribe to all different tiers or just sure. all for free. Yeah. Right. So, so that, that is where I'm going. You, you guys only split a certain number of ways. So yeah. how do you think about growth? Where is it coming from? How do you do it sustainably to make sure to keep that brand, to keep that culture? As you, you just highlighted, you could bring on a ton more coaches, but what would happen to the brand? Yeah, and that's something where real and athletes. I mean, you could bring on a, a a terrible athlete, and they don't represent your brand well, and you know that that can have knock on consequences. Yeah, we've had some um, less than you know professional athletes that wanted to represent us and have showed us that they should not be. Um, but as far as scaling, I think that's. I don't think we have the answer. That's something that we look at every day because we want to take more on. Like the amount of messages we get from athletes that want to be a part of it, that's great. But I don't want to commit to you and then not be able to follow through with you. So, um, and then other thing is like we make okay money, we do good in sales. But when you commit to bringing on another full time coach to handle other projects, you know, you're looking at somewhere between forty and sixty five thousand dollars to start paying them in a year to take on, you know, it's one extra person. So that, you know, can dig into costs for travel, costs for our own salaries, our own bonuses, like our, you know, cost of living. Um, so that's one thing that we're talking about is like, how do we, we're at that point where I'm sure you talk to a lot of business owners about like, we need more manpower, but the investment to get more people is so huge. What if it doesn't pay? Like we're there. That's where we're at. Um, we've done a good job with our website and basically five or six of us have done a lot of work over the last six years with the company and made it what it is. But if we, you know, I want to double it. It's just a matter of finding the funds to make it. I know six people I could trust. They got to move up to Maine. They, you know, which is a whole nother thing. Who the hell's going to move to Maine? Crazy. You did. I sure did. Um, it's not, it's not a common thing. People are usually moving from Maine, which is, you know, they're afraid of winter, but I don't know. I just don't know what the clear next step is. There isn't one. We're trying to... Do they have to move to Maine? So if you know five or six people, you, yeah. have, you have people yes. emailing you all the time who want to be coached yes. by you. Oh, no, no. They don't have to move. The coaches, the, our yeah. staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They so, have to move up here. At least for some time. Yeah, because again, Why? we're so serious about delivering a consistent product. It's not something I'm willing to teach someone over a couple of Skype phone calls. Even if they've been following our blog for years and years, we have a certain way that we work with athletes, a certain way we deliver our message, a certain way that we teach movement. And for somebody to just be able to go rogue on us and call themselves a misfit coach because we allowed it, you can undo good work that way. And I'd almost rather give away or not grow to a point where we take those risks quite yet. We have people that we know we can work with that we can that we could trust, but we'd have to pay an arm and a leg to get them to work for us full time. And uh, that's a big decision that we're actually right in the middle of making as we sit here. And so, so that's great. It's very timely. What? When you guys go through that process, and it sort of ties into the fact that there are, at Misfit Athletics is a pretty big partnership. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of lot of heads in the room, a yep. lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yes. Can be good, can be bad. Correct. Uh, so walk me through how you how you make those big decisions. How do you evaluate them, number one, but then with a, with a big partnership, all with varying stakes in yep. various parts of Misfit Athletics, how do you deal with that? Well, it's... The inevitable disagreement. The the top tier echelon is myself and Drew. Yep. And Ted is a is a close right underneath us. Um, and Ted's our media guy. He's been with us since the beginning. Uh, but Drew and I are the two that founded basically everything, and uh, you know got the ball rolling and really took the steps that you have to take to create a business. Like other than that, there would be no physical location. There'd be nothing. So Drew and I, basically, if there's a tough decision to make. 
we talk about it first. We have enough controlling share in the company that the two of us agree it's done anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we disagree plenty. And we don't, we the don't, two of you. Oh, yeah. And, sure. and it can be on stupid shit too. It can be on like the color of a t shirt we're releasing. <laughs> um, we don't disagree on anything that would, you know, cause harm to the company, but we don't always think, you know, simple decisions are the same. Um, so we used to have meetings all the time, five or six people in a room, the five or six that really are the controlling, you know, coaches, owners, people that matter the most to us. Um, and we would just, vote on things constantly and just talk about things over and over again. And we'd go, okay, we'll pick this topic up next week. We'll do it again next week. And nothing was getting done. Nothing. I mean, we would just keep having the same conversation in the same meeting over and over again. So eventually we said, okay, we're just going to start having like teams. You two are in charge of apparel and you know, you're going to contact whoever the manufacturers are. You're going to help with the design. You can, if you know, you're in charge. So if you need, let's say Ted's help with a design, cause he's the media guy, you need to go find a time that Ted can help you with this. And then you're responsible for bringing the design back. Like it's on you guys, you and you, you have to write the program. Like the program has to be done ahead of time. You need all scaling parts of it done. This needs to be done. If you need to test something, you need to reach out to athletes and get it tested. Like, so we just started splitting things up and then it wasn't a vote anymore. It was whoever was in charge of the project was getting stuff done. Something got really messed up. Yeah, we can come together and talk about it and sort it out. And believe me, there are plenty of mistakes and plenty of little arguments and things that need to be changed. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we always have to come together and talk about. But now that we've kind of separated the roles, things are more streamlined, not perfect, never be perfect probably. But so that's how decisions get made. They're just this little micro teams that just move, move, move. And if something big comes up, we'll talk about it. But typically the BS decisions that just, are we going with gray or charcoal or black? Like pick one. Seems like they're all so important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is something that you, that I talk about with small business owners all the time as the, the relationship between delegation and centralization. Yes, man. Like, well, if I don't have my finger on it, it's going to get messed up and that's going to reflect badly. And, and for a mm-hmm. lot of these business owners, they've, they've founded their company with their name in the title of it, right? right. So, so it's going to affect my name and I can't have that. But they also say in the next breath how it's stifling their ability to grow because you can only split one person so many ways. There's only so exactly. many waking hours in a day and there's only so long you can not sleep before you just go totally bonkers. So... Uh, do you really give that kind of delegation when it's you and Drew? Are you are you comfortable totally offboarding? Personally, with most things, yes. There are things that are happening in our company right now that I would continually vote down that I don't like. Like? Um, well, one of the biggest, I think, things we had an issue with was when we were trying to get a, uh, a new logo because we had a cease and desist from an apparel company. It, it's a... Uh, it was a whole mess because our companies were not separated. The apparel, the training, all that stuff were one unit. So we had to create a bunch of different LLCs, different story, but we got cease and desist. So we had to create a new uh, logo mm-hmm. and it took us like six weeks and I still hate our logo. I, it's fine. It works. People recognize it. I personally begged to, to try something else. I didn't care if it extended the project another two or three weeks. I don't like it. And uh, I got outvoted and I live with it and it's, it's whatever. I don't lose any sleep over it now. I you're just, a Pats fan, right? No. No, you're not a Pats fan. I'm a Raiders fan. You're a Raiders fan. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I did know that. Um, and uh, so, so that's, that's, the, that's the Bill Belichick disagree and commit. Yeah, it is. Uh, Patriots way. I, I'm very familiar <laughs> with Bill's ways, though, even though I'm not a Pats fan. Yeah. But um, yeah, and there's all kinds of things where I'll, uh, like within apparel or within whatever, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll say my piece and I'll say, I, I feel strongly about this, but if you three are going to take another direction, I'm not going to just keep wasting my breath and fighting over it. Like, run with it. And if it fails, like, then you need to make a change. And sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But So you live and die by the ownership lines, right? So it's those three people, a little bit, yeah. They yeah. have to have enough ownership to outweigh your vote or is it correct you know i that's could pretty much right okay yeah, is it, are there any situations where you say i i could outvote this because there's enough disagreement but you know uh, uh, there's a there's a decent enough quorum of people but maybe not of ownership who feel so strongly a certain yeah. way that I'll, i'm going to defer even though I, I i defer yes because okay. even though a logo is a big deal it's a really big deal that represents you on every shirt and every mm-hmm. you know it's a big deal 
it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the logo. I just don't like it. And I'm and so I need to be man enough to be like, okay, these guys say it's good enough and they're wanting to go with it. I need to just shut up and get back to like the things that matter. And so that's what I do. And how hard is that for you? It used to be really hard. It's not hard anymore. Really? Yeah. The only thing that I get really bent out of shape about is uh I, I still write basically the entire program now that goes out. So I write every cycle, all the stuff the athletes are doing, all the extras. I do almost all the scaling. Um, I do, we'll say 99% of it. And if somebody goes in and changes something I've been working on or erases something or tweaks something or doesn't put it out the way I wrote it, then I you know, make it very clear that I wrote it a certain way for a very specific reason, because that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And it is extremely tedious and time consuming. So when I finally made the stuff fit and work together and somebody just goes rogue on me. Yeah, I don't like that, but that's it. That's the only thing I, I'll, I'll, that's the biggest offense you can make about me is to change that one part that I've literally put all my energy into. How do well, so how, how'd you get over that hump? Cause that's actually, it is, it is uncommon and it is hard when you own something, you're the founder of something, you have a very clear vision of what you want, right? So how do you, how do you get over that hump mentally of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to delegate and I'm going to defer and I'm going to disagree and commit and be comfortable and not just pay lip service to that. Honestly, I think our success took me there because like, again, we're not so overwhelmed with success that we're, you know, rolling in cash. We don't even know what to do. Like, but it's just that things are working and I can recognize things are working. So if things weren't working and we're some major struggling company and we're just fighting about things all the time, like I could see how that would be difficult, but things are not like that. So when something doesn't go my way, I have other things I can work on that I know are helping the company and I can just take my focus off the thing that's bothering me. It might take a minute, right? Like something, something really bothers you within your company. Like, you're going to say your piece and you're going to make it perfectly clear that everyone understands your opinion on it. And if uh, they go the other direction anyway, like I just kind of consider it out of my control at that point. So I don't lose sleep over it. I don't, it, it took time and it took understanding and realization like where we were and where I am and just, okay, that's fine. Like I lose this one. It is what it is. So I want, I want to tie that to being a boss versus being a coach. Uh, can you relate the two? Are they are they relatable or are they totally in your mind? Are they totally different things? Because when you're talking uh, about a level of delegation, being a boss, it turns much more into being a coach. There's similarity to it. The difference is uh, to me being a coach. I'm. I don't know why this actually works better. I'm probably a better coach than boss because again, I for some reason am more motivated by the by watching the success of others than watching my own success. So as a boss, it's easier for me to get frustrated, shut down, not want to be a part of something, yell at somebody for something simple, get, you know, overreact to something that seems obvious to me but may not be obvious to someone else and uh, I get a little more emotional maybe as a boss cuz it might concern me directly and so I I could, I'm not saying I'm like out of control like you know what I mean? I just it's easier to make those mistakes. As a coach, I'm only looking at what the athlete is, you know, trying to do or trying to accomplish. So everything's very clear cut, like directions real simple because I'm not directing somebody that's going to that's doing something to influence me or my position. I'm just directing them or trying to guide them to influence their own position. And so the emotions can be taken out of it a lot. Um and it's just it seems very clear cut for me and it and it's easier for me to deal with uh, their emotions and kind of steer them than it is for someone than it is for me to deal with someone who is directly impacting my own position. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's probably the biggest separator between the two. Coaching feels much more natural to me and being a boss uh, is a lot more work for me. It seems like more work. Sure. So what are your ambitions for Misfit going forward? You mentioned right now you're having a discussion company-wide about how to grow. Yeah. Um, and is that is that a is that a discussion over binary whether to grow or not or how much or how fast? How, how does that discussion that. take shape and, and where do you slot in on that? It's it's all of that. Um, I think we've recognized that uh, the sport of CrossFit itself, which is um, growing drastically, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Probably not even in my lifetime, or at least functional fitness. There's so many like Spartan races, Ninja Warrior. There's so many of these like things that are very much 
not the same, but within the same realm of what we would do for training, sort of, kind of, that we would be relevant even if CrossFit disappeared. Um, so we need to kind of branch away from, not branch away, but be more inclusive, I should say. Not branch away from anything, but be more inclusive as a company so that if uh, somebody wanted to just specifically uh, work on their endurance, like they're like an Ironman or something like that, or want to run a 10K, like we have programs for endurance athletes, whether you want to cycle, ski, run, bike, row, whatever it is, we have programs for that. If you were, um, you know, just looking to do, maybe you're like a parkour athlete, right? And you're trying to get some strength on the side of practicing what you're doing. Like we have ways to teach gymnastics. We have ways to um, in, improve your muscular strength and endurance, to, which could help you with that. Um, let's say you're just a, uh, you know, you're a high school hogger, uh, soccer, oh, geez, I can't speak, high school soccer player. We can put you in a program to fix your endurance. If you're a hockey player, we can build up your power and stamina. If you're a football player, we can get your short burst stuff going. Like we just need to not be so tightly connected to the brand of CrossFit. I just think that there's way more out there. And and Drew, my business partner, has a, a little side project called the the Misfit Project, which is currently a podcast that he just talks about health and wellness, essentially, and the simple things that we do wrong kind of as a society and the ways that they can be addressed and fixed. And so when you start mixing health and wellness with a broader scope of fitness, I think it becomes, like I said, more inclusive and then our market can grow. So big time. the exact direction that that takes and the exact steps that we're going to take to do that, we don't know. We have ideas for apps. We have ideas for separate websites. We have ideas for all kinds of things. Execution wise, we'll see. It's a one day at a time. I mean, that's so that's a big ambition. You tied in two topics that I wanted to cover. One was right now being inextricably inextricably tied to CrossFit. Yep. And how, at least at present, it is a symbiotic benefit with some unfortunate consequences. Sure. Um, mostly beneficial, but mostly yes. beneficial. Yeah. Yep. Um, but in in order to scale, right, functional fitness isn't tied to necessarily CrossFit. Uh, so is is your desire to branch out of CrossFit a, a a function of, you know, there's a risk associated just being tied to CrossFit, we need to branch out? Or is it just, no, this is the natural progression of we are fitness professionals, we are fitness and wellness professionals now, and, you know, that has to be broader than just the world of CrossFit? That, it's that, yeah. Okay. It's that we just need to be more broad and we need to, we just need people to understand that what we're teaching while it does apply to the sport of CrossFit directly, because that's where we kind of found all this, it's it's what our original passion was. Um, what we're teaching applies far beyond going trying to make regionals, and most people don't even know what regionals is, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very difficult uh, CrossFit competition, and uh, you know you don't need to be at that level to learn how to you know squat snatch or do a bar muscle up or walk on your hands like we can teach you how to do that and that's some pretty you know good stuff for life it's healthy range of motion for your body keeps you strong i just saw this like great post i think uh if you follow joe rogan on instagram he he posted um a x-ray of a 70 year old sedentary man's uh quad muscles and an x-ray of a you know a triathlon like look at what your body does if you stop moving. You think, like, that's what we, we just need everyone to know that. If you stop moving, you will die from that. You will die from stopping, from not moving, right? Mm -hmm. You will either become overweight, have diabetes, or you will lose so much function in your joints and muscle and tissue that you will be immobile. So we really, in the big scheme of things, want people to be able to live their best life and then have longevity. And so that's not as almost nothing to do with competition of CrossFit and the things we teach can lead to that. So the, so the universe out there is obviously incredibly large, which is, which is great, right? It, it, it provides a runway. If you can tap into the outside of CrossFit world, there's almost an endless runway for you in, in fitness and wellness, no doubt. Yes. But you have to start somewhere. So how do you think about, okay, there's this, you know, the, the BHAG, the B, big, hairy, audacious goal, uh, out there, but I have to bring that back to tangible steps that, that you as a business owner need to take, you know, so what, what is that next step? Is it going from CrossFit to Ninja Warrior training? Is it going from CrossFit to other sports training? It's, so tackling the hockey players and the football players? It's probably more like uh, the endurance field, the weightlifting field, and then the 
athlete, as you'd call it, the people who play multi-sport or whatever that just need a strength and conditioning program. It's probably simpler than the rest of the stuff. When you start talking about Ninja Warrior or stuff like that, then you're talking specialized again, just like CrossFit specialized. So we could be more broad. And I think to, to do that, we don't need to figure out, like, we know how to train athletes. We know how to manipulate all kinds of things. We Yeah, you just got to find them and convince them that you're right. the right program for them. So the first thing we need to do... Going it, niche helps is, with that. Right? So correct. Ninja Warrior, very niche. Yes. But easier to talk, easier to find those people and then segment them out and try and tell your story to them. Right. Exactly right. And I think one of the things, like even if we did have that, we have a pretty good marketing machine that's that's rolling. Like our, our social media game is solid in our field. You know what I mean? It's It's pretty good. But I think the biggest thing is that we're finding consumers that aren't necessarily all in want the most convenient delivery method. So yeah, marketing is important. And if we created a, let's say we started with the endurance field and we created like misfit endurance and we were talking about, you know, eight week cycles of training for blah, 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 whatever we want, whatever we want. Um, how the hell do they get that program? How do they find us? How do they sign up for it? Like, how do they get that? And I think we need to be not cutting edge, but just real efficient with the way that we can deliver that to people. So once people understand that we're doing that, like, Shouldn't they just be able to download an app and get their like workout? You know, they get a notification that their workout's like ready. I, I don't know. Like, we need to come up with the, the delivery method, the, the streamlined way to get athletes what they need to know and get it to them immediately at, you know, affordable rates and every Like, what is that? We don't know what that is. Like, we're trying to come up with it. So, I, that's, that's our, a big topic of, of conversation is how do we put stuff out there? Sure. I think. Sure. Um, so I want to go back to the different businesses underneath Misfit Athletics, um, and ask you point blank, if you could only focus your time on one of them, one segment, which would it be and why? And, and is this for personal gain or for like maximizing income or what? Whatever you can decide the gyms, the physical gyms that goes to the ambition part of what are you trying to do? Is it, I want to. I want to build the Misfit brand as big as it can be because I think our mission is really important and people need to know it. Or I want to do it because there's significant financial reward at the end of that yeah. rainbow. Or you know, I'm, I'm a competitive guy, and if I'm not gunning for first place in something, I'm not. I'm not living. I need to make people money. solve for different different questions. Of course, I need to make money to live, but I don't need to be rich. I I don't have ambition of getting super rich. It was cool to think about when you were a kid, but when you get to be an adult. You know, not that many rich people out there. Like, I'm cool with a decent salary and living the life that I want to live. That's what I, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lost my train of thought completely. One more time on the question. It was the of the of oh, the businesses. Oh, which, yeah, you, so, you pick the gyms so, actually. Yes, I pick exactly. So I'd pick the gyms because um, the I'm gym, glad you say that because I'm a gym goer. The, the gyms are where it all started. That was that's how that's how it all came to be. But once, and you talk about scaling up, like once we invited essentially 40,000 people into our world and we're spread thin, as we already talked about as well, the focus becomes, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times how to maximize the income to support the coaches, the owners, all that stuff. And the income is not from the physical locations. It's from the website. It's from selling T-shirts to tens of thousands of people. It's, It's from making shorts and... Um, so when that's the focus, it's easy to make that the priority of your, you know, daily work and routine. And so what happens is the physical locations that you would think could easily run themselves because you're a big bad misfit and you have this brand and everyone knows you around the world. Well, those things can go to shit pretty quick if you don't pay attention to them. So it'd be nice to have a second me who spent all day working on things for the physical gym, for the members, projects, events, things like that. And then the other me can focus on the website and the programming and all that. So if I could take myself away from the stuff that pays the bills essentially and grows the company, I would put myself right into the physical location. Because guess what? I get to be there. I get to enjoy that. I get to have fun. I get to grow the community. I get to meet new people. All the people there are happier. Like that, the physical location is currently my life. Like that's where I'm at every day. So um, I would like to spend more time on that, even though, yeah, I may make a little money, but like, it's never going to be the big money maker. It just can't be. You can't scale it up, like you were saying, to the the place that we've scaled our websites to. It's just not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. There's only a certain number of people that are willing to pay even right. 150. And I and I come from exactly. cities where 
150 would be a steal. 350 exactly. was like the going rate in New York and Boston. But I don't, and I paid that happily. But I don't care. I just want it to be better and have more fun and have more people there. And that's what I want in my life. So selfishly, there's my answer, right? Sure. Business wise, if you're like, how would you maximize, you know, your income? Yeah, I would create a bunch of new programs. I would make specialty stuff. I'd have more remote coaching athletes. Like that's easy. That's easy money making answer. But that doesn't necessarily always make me the happiest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Adding an extra 10 grand in my pocket at the end of the year because I've maximized my website a little bit doesn't bring me any joy. That, that sort of ties into a question I want to ask about the secret sauce of Misfit. Yeah. And in your from your perspective, what is that secret sauce? And then how do you keep it as you scale? A big, well, I will toot my own horn for a second. Nice. Um, part of it is the deliberacy in the programming. So I, I believe... This is not a fact, but I believe I've probably written more CrossFit style workouts than anyone else in the entire world ever. We have almost 1,600 days straight on our blog of me writing five or six pieces a day. Even though CrossFit.com was founded back in like 2003 or something like that, or even later when they started putting workouts, it's one a day, right? And that's five days a week. So we've more than caught beyond any amount of workouts they put on their website. And I've done 90% of the workouts, written 90% of the workouts that are on that website. Not to mention I write regionals prep, games prep, hatchet class, which is a scaled back version of the blog. I just know how to write workouts. I can write them down. I've done it so many times. I, I can picture in my head exactly the way it's going to go to the minute. I know, I know how it's going to affect people. I know what the stimulus is going to be like. So when I write workouts, I can make them very straightforward and very effective. And so that's when you can do that and they're simple, people have an easier time scaling them. People have an easier time executing them. People don't get stuck in certain places because they can move through the workouts more effectively, have higher intensity, they make faster progress. So my ability to kind of see the way a workout will play out can lend to their ability to execute the workout faster if they knew nothing about what they were doing and couldn't make any choices themselves and make any changes. The workouts will do the job to a certain extent. And now having said that, and tooted my own horn, uh, we do a real good job with our media, I think. So we always follow up with the program um, videos of how to execute a squat correctly if there's a squatting cycle, you know, how to fix your chest to bar pull-ups, how to fix your handstand push-ups, talking about pacing and running, talk about this, tip for that, tip for this. And so when we put a lot of that content out there and, and our fans are fans and athletes are watching, hopefully they're absorbing some of that and they're able to put it to work. So if we're diligent enough with making sure the programming is executable and we have um content behind it to assist athletes in executing it correctly, I think that's what allows our athletes to A, grow as faster, faster than any other athletes in other programs, and B, they have fun with it because they're not getting super frustrated, they're not getting stuck. Um, it's simple to follow, like we, we simplify it so that the masses can use it as a template for themselves. And so those are, those are some of the bigger reasons that I think I guess that would be our secret sauce. It seems like it's obvious, straightforward to us. It seems like if you did it any other way, you'd be stupid. Simple, not easy. We talk about that yeah, a lot here. But but people want to make it complicated and they want to try to jam science down your throat and they want to try to make you move. They just make it too complicated for the average person to use. And uh, the problem is each athlete's different. They have a, a different background where they grew up and you know their their environment that, that they were raised in is different. And that may... And, that growth they've had as a person affects how they grow as an athlete later in life. And because you have that wide array of different environmental causes on each person differently, the program has to be simple enough for each person to be able to execute it and scale it and change it to fit what they're able to do. So it's just diligence and being aware of the details, I think. It's just, now that we have people's attention, I... I think I think we can deliver the message effectively enough that people can execute, and that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, what I hear when you say that is um, is creating process in in the business of of coaching, right? So, your the the secret sauce in a way is you have you have your your ten thousand hours to tip the hat to Malcolm Gladwell yeah. of programming, but then to able to 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 be able to distill it down to a level where you can then create systems and processes for other people 
to embrace it, to take it on, whether it be coaches or athletes, that's what makes it scalable. Because yep. if it were just a secret sauce of only Seth can program, but Seth can only program with people that he knows well, so we can program for that person, that's not scalable. No, not at all. And you'd right. be staring at spreadsheets all day long. And there are, there are other companies out there, I'm not going to say their names, but they their whole media campaign is bashing us, saying that if it's not an individualized program, you can't make progress. Like They spend all day making posts. And they don't name us specifically, but they just... they. I mean, beat around the bush nonstop trying to bash our style of working out and stuff. And it's like, man, I don't know how many athletes you sent to the CrossFit Games this year, but if you want to look on our wall, we've got jerseys from every year since 2013 and beyond just with multiple athletes. Just like, we know it's effective. Just stay in your lane, dude. We, we just touched on the, the mental side and how crucial that is for high-level athletes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you could spend 20 minutes talking about the, the mental side, but I want to tie it to business. Okay. Um, so what about coaching and working on someone's mental game or your own uh, has affected you as a business owner, as a boss, as a founder? So it probably, like I said before, I'm a better coach than I am boss, right? And the things I've learned as a coach... I probably should use them more often in other life situations. The the biggest thing I learned probably as a coach is reading emotion, reading um, certain feedback, whether they're happy, sad, mad, glad, give me scores, just their tone of voice, their body language, things like that. I pick up on what they're really feeling, even if they don't tell me. And I'm good at figuring out what kind of feedback I need to give them in order to keep their eyes on the prize. And sometimes athletes really want a pat on the back and a good job. And sometimes when they want that most, I won't give it to them because you only reward certain things. And uh, so the whole psychology of coaching and, and learning each athlete as an individual and understanding, you know, when you have to give them a big hug and be like, you crushed it. Or when you have to let them sit in the corner by themselves and think about what they've done. Like there's, there's a, it's not like I'm special, but I've learned, you know, what works and what doesn't. And when people need time for self reflection, when they need feedback, when they don't, when they're craving things that they shouldn't have and different emotions and all those things are real valuable just in life. So, I mean, in conversations and, in any situation. And um, so I could take those things and use them as an effective boss better. And I try to in some situations, but I still think that I myself, like I told you before, as a coach, I can turn my own emotions off and deliver this stuff. And that's what I got good at. But again, when I become emotional about things, I'm not great at reading people as well because i I'm too worked up myself and then I don't give the feedback I need to give. So as a business owner, I should probably learn for myself, but that's hard to do. That's really hard to take a step back all the time when something's in motion, something needs a decision, something's happening to take that step back, always remove emotion, make a logical decision and be confident about it and then execute it. So I know that's what I need to do, but I'm not sure that's always what I do. So I mean, that's just, that's me being honest right there. I don't, I, I mean, that's a level of, of introspection. I think is probably unique to begin with. Yeah. I mean, most just, just under, understanding that about yourself, I think is, a uh, is unique. I understand a lot about myself and I don't know how to fix a lot about myself. <laughs> I got, I got plenty of problems like everyone else. That's just the brutal self-honesty. Yeah. Right? And it's just, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. So I want to close out with a couple of questions that I ask everyone. Um, the first one a little bit the simplest, uh, definitely not not original. But what would you tell yourself from five years ago? Uh, well, I would have quit my other job a lot sooner and just gone all in on my business because I felt like uh, I feel like we we missed a chance to kind of use that exponential growth earlier. So we could have been bigger now. Um, and not that I'm not satisfied with where we're at now. I am, but um, I went through. I probably would have let things go sooner earlier as well. We talked about that earlier, like this, the things you don't agree with. But delegate. You just, yeah, you delegate a little more and you accept the decisions other people make and focus on the things that you can make positive impact on. I still need to work on that too, um, but I think I probably am a lot better at it now than I was five years ago for sure. So I would have tried to fix some of those things about myself. But 
I feel like I wouldn't tell myself anything. A lot of the stuff that I've been through in the last five years have probably been all good learning experiences too. And if you just, when's the last time someone told you something and you just accepted it as fact and didn't have to experience it to actually learn a lesson? Almost never. Right. So I probably don't even trust myself. So even if I told (laughs) myself something, I still would probably have to hit my head on the wall to learn. You know what I mean? Yep. So that might be in the show notes. I'll stay right there. Fair enough. All right. The next two, um, are uh, are something that I'm I'm eager to hear your response. One is uh, if I if you if there's a magic pause button in life, you could pause everything. Uh, nothing else was going on. I gave you four months to do whatever you wanted to do. How would you allocate that time? Business wise, uh, I, I, I again I would spend it. I would probably spend it in my gyms. I would try to. I'd probably do a little head hunting. I'd probably work on uh, some longer term projects. I would try to build up the the local spots even more just so that our headquarters was just bumping out of control, like lots of fun, good people, all that stuff. So, okay. And then, and then the last one is, uh, if I gave you two years of profits, company profits, and if that's not a big enough number, take uh, whatever is a significant amount of money that would be, that would change your yep. business, but you had to invest it back in the company. Where would you invest it? Um, probably infrastructure and the websites. So I would probably, uh, if I'm investing it in terms of, uh, maximizing my return, it would be apps, websites, um, more media stuff for Ted cameras and computers to edit stuff. Uh, probably more, an, another personal work under him to shoot more media. Like it would be all about, uh, delivering the message to the consumer in a more clear, more streamlined fashion constantly, constant, constant, constant. That's what I would do. Um, yeah, I'd put all the money in the media because it doesn't cost any more money for me to keep writing a program. It doesn't cost any more money for me to stand in front of the camera and say the things I have to say, but it costs money to shoot the stuff and build a website and build the means to get it to people effectively in today's kind of technological phone in your hand every day, every second driven society. Yep. Right. It's so. a good answer. It's definitely the most scalable part of the business. I think it is. Well, Seth, really appreciate the time on the show. Thanks a lot. And I uh, hope everyone out there enjoys it. Glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Time Small Business Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. To access show notes and subscribe to our distribution list, be sure to visit us at chenmarkcapital.com slash podcast. That's chenmark, C-H-E-N-M-A-R-K, capital.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at chenholdco, C-H-E-N holdco. Last but not least, we'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at podcast at chenmarkcapital.com. Thanks a lot.